Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I'm joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, Will? Really well, buddy. How are you? I'm knackered, to be honest. I spent a little bit of uh, spent a bit of time away this weekend, so I didn't probably get the uh, plethora and the depth of games around college football, despite the fact that we now have every conference within um, the football bowl subdivision up and running. Uh, I did catch most things, and I've been through a lot of stuff. But you're going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting here tonight. Um, because I just know, I just feel like you've got a better lay of the land after week 10 slash week two slash week four than what I do. Yes, no, I've had a very good day today watching college football. The sun was out. I kind of moved from inside my lounge room den that I've got set up at one point mm-hmm. out into the sun, and I had a couple of screens going outside. Uh, I had some cushions set up there and was really kind of soaking it in and enjoying that. So I've had a good day of college football, and it's been a lot to enjoy. Absolutely. And if there is one downside to college football for us here in Australia is that it does fall in the springtime. And we're now in like the best months of the year, October through to kind of December, where it's it's not 48 degrees outside yet and your face is melting off. But it's just really, really nice weather, kind of mid-20s through to 30s. And you can go and do a whole bunch of stuff. But then there's a whole bunch of college football involved here and and i know that there's games kicking off at 2 30 here local time and the last game uh which was new mexico and hawaii kicked off at 3 p.m so yeah i'm pretty uh, sure that one's just wrapped up now like that was late yeah so um you know there is a lot of college football action across the spread of the united states and that means that that's a, that's a good thing in lots of ways, but it also makes our job fucking hard. No, I'm good with it. Like, we're really January to March sort of operators anyway, so I think that's good yeah, for and us. Yeah, and we're paying the price for that as well by the looks of things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump in. Let's hit our 360 for week number 10. Clemson, lose. What happened? Yeah, I mean, this is that's not something that we hear very often on when talking college football. I think there's a number of kind of records that they were currently holding at the moment in terms of uh, longevity of playing in the ACC, straight games, road games, all of that sort of stuff. So they obviously went down in this game to Notre Dame. It was a, it was a great matchup, double overtime. Uh, loved loved every moment of it. Uh, obviously, Trevor Lawrence sat for this one, still out going through the COVID protocols and then whatever else is required to go through that. So he wasn't available. Had a great matchup. Uh, Notre Dame stepped up and got it done. We, we kind of questioned them leading into it. Can they get it done in the big moment? They did. So credit to them. Brian Kelly needed that one for the Fighting Irish. Okay, if you thought the Big Ten was a little weird last week... I don't know what you call this one. Uh, Michigan State go and get creamed. Penn State go down to what we thought was the worst team in the Big Ten. Michigan lose to Indiana. What is going on in that conference? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that carnage now that we saw in the Big 12 earlier and the ACC and SEC have also been stung by it as well. It's, it's happening this year. So Michigan dropped to 1-2, and two, uh, which is kind of quite shocking. And Penn State 0-3 now for the first time since two, 
2001. Obviously, they would normally have some out-of-conference games that make it a bit easier for them, but that's big for them. Those guys would be really concerned with that. Happy to see Maryland somewhat turning the corner, though, getting some really positive results. For sure. Florida handle Georgia comfortably in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Bit of a surprise there, or you thought that one went to script? No, I think credit to you. You backed Florida in that one. I was on the Georgia side of that ledger, but we are seeing more evidence that offense is more important than defense in the college football game now, and that's what we saw. It was a strong Florida offense, a stout Georgia D, and Florida came out on top, really able to get it done. Kyle Trask is looking like a real player, like legit. For sure. Uh, I don't have too much more. The only other one I did want to mention is referees got far too involved this week in college football. They didn't have a great week out, were my thoughts from the games that I watched. Yeah, okay. I think it's probably worth noting uh, that it was a good week to be uh, ranked. Uh, No unranked side uh, knocked over a ranked team this week, and the the only upsets we saw were within multi-ranked matchups. The Friday night matchups were really good. BYU had their one chance to really show off against a decent Boise team and blew them out of the park, so full credit to them. Your boys in Miami keep rolling and keep relevant in the ACC, uh, somehow kind of escaping a win with NC State, really kind of doing it tough there. Yeah. Um, go, go, going in late Pac-12 was back uh, and we lost a few games to COVID and I, I almost felt like when those games went any chance that Oregon essentially has the only chance to, to make it through lost their opportunity as well to, to fight for a national championship with those games going out because the whole credibility of that conference was already going to struggle with only six games. Now we're losing them. I just can't see it happening. USC somehow stole a victory in that one. So I don't know, maybe there's a miracle there. Uh, and the last one I want to point out is Tennessee getting done now have gone a combined 150 to 58. So they've been on the wrong side of that since they took that halftime lead against Georgia. They've lost all of those games and looked quite terrible. So if I'm Tennessee, Michigan, Penn State at the moment, not feeling awfully good about myself. No, and I was going to mention this um, a little bit earlier because you've mentioned a little bit about Maryland and and I was going to talk about it on Wednesday's show. But to me, getting rid of the... Because you talked about Penn State being 0-3 and normally they would have a couple of tune-up games and get them right. I love the idea moving forward that the tune-up game doesn't exist and we get to see some more chaos, some more carnage. And I think scrap that one. Don't get me wrong, play some group of five team or whatever, but really restrict the numbers on you. You don't get to play an FCS school. Um, you don't get to you know smoke somebody. And I know that there's in, there is another side of this that we're not going to talk about now, but I think getting rid of those games would be a fantastic move in terms of the energy positivity and chaos around college football yeah okay there's certainly pros and cons about it but i I do Mm -hmm. like that i think with the the amount we've gone over on the 360 here you can tell that there was everyone's back like there's so much Mm. action now it's all happening there's plenty keeping so we're gonna have to really keep on point tonight to make sure we can get through all of this for sure and let's jump into the news which you're gonna headline tonight because i got nothing stenson bennett 
What happened to him? Yeah, suffered a separated shoulder in their matchup and was knocked out of the game. So he was kind of not the starter going into the year, took the job, had been doing a good job and has been knocked out. So it'll be interesting to see if he misses time with that one and, and if so, how long and whether we maybe see JT Daniels coming into action for Georgia now. Uh, well, who's that QB 4-3 for, four for them, JT oh, Daniels? Well, there must be with Jamie Newman gone. And then Stetson Bennett gone, and Dwan Mathis, if he doesn't start, JT Daniels, number four. Lucky number four. <laughs> it's pretty nuts to have someone of yeah, his caliber like coming Dallas in. Cowboys. Mm. Uh, Gary Anderson gets the chop. Yeah, so I believe this is the first head coach to get done this year. Obviously, we were kind of talking about maybe some more leeway for coaches, given all the unprecedented times that we've seen, lack of time that coaches get with their players and, and all of that sort of gear, but the Utah Athletic Department have come together and said, we're not happy with this. We don't like the direction we're going in. Uh, so have moved on from Gary Anderson. There you go. Any other news tidbits that we should hit? The last one that I want to touch on is this, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people would have seen this watching the games, was the Notre Dame fans storming the field Whoa. after the Clemson victory. Don't be doing that. Interesting. Really interesting. So, obviously, with all the restrictions that are in place, it's very much state-based at the moment. But to have the optics of however many thousands, you know, tens of thousands of people storming the field and, and all around that does not look good for the game, the sport, at all. And I'm going to be interested to see if there are going to be any repercussions that come out of this one. Yeah, I don't know who you dish those repercussions out to. The school itself, perhaps. Um... But yeah, there was a few other interesting bits and pieces around that as well and what could occur. And it would be kind of ironic if uh, Notre Dame ended up with a whole bunch of COVID cases through the back end of the year and then had a whole bunch of players miss the ACC championship game against Clemson. <laughs> I just hey, think that would be kind of ironic. Miami's still a chance, mate. Don't sell yourself short. We're, we're not a chance. Yeah, we're bust. Uh uh, okay, let's get into some games now because that's what we're really here for. And we're going to start in the Pac-12. It was their week one. You mentioned a couple of these earlier, but Arizona and Utah got cancelled. And then Washington versus Cal, which I was really looking forward to, got cancelled as well. So let's start with my chaos game of the weekend. That was USC taking on Arizona State. Here's Slovis looking for... Yeah, Drake London catches a touchdown on fourth and nine to cap 14 points in 90 seconds for the Trojans. A game that kicked off at 9 a.m. local time, and it seemed that they did get out the blocks okay, but then there was a big drifty section in the middle where Jaden Daniels took over, particularly with his legs, but also throwing the ball downfield as well. There was, I mean, it was a really entertaining, a really entertaining game. When I see 28-27, I'm thinking, ah, you know, that's not the scoring that I expect from an entertaining game, but we had turnovers, big plays, fourth down stops, a gazillion fourth down attempts, onside kicks, a crazy finish with two touchdowns that were I mean particularly the first one that took a ricochet to a, a USC receiver standing in the end zone and he just kind of walks into it and catches it on fourth and 13 um, Merlin Robinson was good on defense for ASU but they have to feel like this one got away from them a hundred percent Oh, absolutely it did. So four minutes to go, Arizona State led this one 27 to 14. 
then lost it. Like, that's hard to do. USC converted on fourth and three, fourth and 19, and, oh, sorry, fourth and 13 and fourth and nine, uh, along with recovering an onside kick in there. That's just absolute nuts. So, full credit to USC for taking their chances and getting it done. Arizona State would be kicking themselves at this missed opportunity. Someone's got to step up and make a play there. Herm Edwards echoed that fact and sentiment after the game, saying, look, we had our shot, we had our opportunities, and we've kind of let ourselves down here. So they'd be bitterly disappointed with that. Jaden Daniels is a baller. Like, I I love watching this kid play. He was awesome again. A real dual threat type there. So he's going to be set to have another big year after his phenomenal freshman campaign. So that's the one positive they can take out of this. But this one really stings. In a shortened season, every wins you know, equates to two and every loss is is doubly as painful. Yeah, I, I don't feel good. And I, I'm conscious to not overreact. I wasn't particularly impressed with Keaton Slovis. He put a lot of balls in dangerous areas. You know, he had one interception, but he could have had a number where defenders were jumping. Well, not, I say not even jumping in front of passes. He just airmailed these balls. And um, he wasn't particularly impressive. But again, first game out of the blocks, a little bit hard to know what to take out of this game. I think we think Arizona State is a pretty reasonable team and uh, a really exciting game. So USC win that one 28 to 27. Let's continue and move on. Colorado 48 overcome UCLA 42 in a shootout. UCLA were down 14 at the half and had to fight their way back into it to get this one somewhere close. They turned the ball over three of their first five possessions, and it appears some of the things that plagued the Bruins last year, bad defense and turnovers, came back to haunt them again in this one. Oh, Chip Kelly, man, he still can't get things humming in the right direction for UCLA. No, certainly not. It's really concerning for them. So uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was much talked about going into this game, the quarterback of the Bruins, and he was somewhat underwhelming. I mean, yes, he went for over 300 yards and had the four touchdowns, but he was only going at about a 50% clip and uh, had a, a painful turnover in there as well. Was dynamic with the on the ground so he did go for over 100 yards and only nine carries running the ball and and that's kind of one of the big traits that he had as a a highly touted recruit was that ability to get out so I think UCLA really need to kind of leverage that but to go down to a Colorado team that's supposed to be rebuilding this year that we probably thought were going to be taking a step back is certainly a kick in the teeth and to give up 48 points in this opener is not where you want to be so full credit to Colorado like new coaching staff mass turnover there it's, it's tough to come together and, and get it done, but they've shown that they can do that. They really uh, controlled the clock, um, managed yeah. to, to really dictate terms running the ball and, and were able to get that done, even on the back of what was probably some disappointing um, kicking efforts from our, our boy James Stefano there with a couple of missed kicks. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and you mentioned a couple of you know, new skill position players, I guess. Stevie Montez has gone. Sam Neuer stepped in the quarterback position and he was steady, 20 of 31, 257 and a touch. And then Jarek Brossard, 31 carries, 187 and three TDs. He may, he may get a mention later as well, but a big, big day for him on the ground. And, and that's the way you go about it, I guess, with a new coaching short, you know, lead in 
or say long lead in, but short coaching in terms of not getting those practice games in. Use the ground game and, and they did that effectively. Uh, Washington State beat Oregon State 38-28. Oregon beat Stanford 35-14. to Anything on those two games before we head over to the Big 12? No, so Washington State continued putting up points, which is what we expected to see. Uh, Oregon State they had ran the, the ball this time, though. I, yeah, Didn't which see is that under Mike Lee. Yeah, correct. A, a little different. It was cool to see the turnover chainsaws back out in Oregon That's State. Sweet, That's so good. <laughs> like a lot of the copycat shit, I'm just not about. Like I like that the U did it and they owned it, and then you know you've seen this ridiculous crap come out. But turnover chainsaw is pretty badass. I will, I will get around that one. I'll let that one slide. Uh, and Oregon were good. I mean, CJ Vidal did what he does. He, he was good on the ground and they won this one fairly comfortable. So they'd be happy with that result. We weren't quite sure what to expect from this team with uh, quite a number of opt-outs and obviously the disruption around the place, but they looked good out the blocks. And now on the back of these week one results look to be the true front runner in this conference. All right, let's jet over to the Big 12. Oklahoma State, if we start there, overcome an incredibly slow start, which is what we predicted to happen against Kansas State. Not necessarily that they were going to start slow, but if they did, they had an opportunity for their offense to take their time getting right because they'll be able to keep that Kansas State uh, offense in check, which they did more or less, only conceding the 18 points. Oklahoma State managed 20 points in the second half to squeak by the Wildcats. How do you get shot out in the first half with a team like Oklahoma State and all their skill position guys? Well, a lot of have a lot of the skill position guys not available. Uh, it's certainly one. So Tylan Wallace was ruled out yeah, early on in the piece in this one or in the lead-up to the game. I think he has a bit of a muscle injury. So he was kitted up and actually came on for um, an onside kick recovery, which I thought was strange. Like, real cold and didn't play it down except, except that. Yeah, like in the hands team. And he actually really made a heads-up play where it got kind of got over and behind him and he was able to slap the ball out of bounds uh, so that they could recover it. Quite clever, but uh, strange that he was kind of not playing within that position. And also Chuba Hubbard seemed to have an injury or something that held him out for a lot of this game, so it didn't have a huge impact. Uh, but it was LD Brown who managed to kind of come to the rescue in the second half and inject some life into this offense because the first half was just atrocious. It was just not turning the ball over. I think after their efforts against Texas where they turned the ball over a fair bit, they, they, they wanted to be a bit more conservative and they turned that dial way too far. It was just three and out, three and out, three and out. And, like, it was not pretty to watch. It was quite frustrating. Credit to Kansas State. They were doing a good job on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and Oklahoma State's defense were doing well themselves. I mean, uh, it was, well, 12 to nothing at, at the half. And it was a proper, like, SEC <laughs> defensive slugfest, which you're just not used to seeing. But Oklahoma State were able to get some life with LD Brown in the second half, uh, cut off a couple of big runs and, and make things happen. So they got away with a win there, which is really important for their Big 12 title hopes. All right, Iowa State overcome a slow start as well against Baylor, but they get away from the Bears by a touchdown, 38-31. to 31. Iowa State just don't seem in sync at all this year. A touchdown win against a really bad Baylor team from an Iowa State team that we kind of thought was probably in the top four 
three or four. You sort of said earlier in the year they were going to take a step back. And, you know, either way, they're considerably more talented and, you know, better than this Baylor Bears team. What is going on here with the clones and why can't they seem to get this ship pointed in the right direction? I don't think Baylor are that bad. I mean, the the Bears, whilst have been disappointing, certainly going through a rebuilding year, uh, still have players. They've, they've got dudes. They're a team that is going to be competing for the Big 12 within the next couple of years as they start to build well, that back up. Call. We'll just document that one. Yeah, Take oh, the receipts on that. Certainly. This, this Baylor team is not going to be a cellar dweller across the conference. They're a, a good team that we saw previously with Matt Rule. And Dave Aranda, I think, has the credentials to certainly help them drive to be a, a solid program moving forward. So I'm not shocked to see that this was a tight one. Uh, a lot of the teams in the Big 12 on their day can certainly match up with anyone. So, and, and we've seen that across the whole conference, except Kansas. They are not good. But Iowa State here managed to do what they needed to do in the back half. Like on the back of a a big third quarter, Brock Purdy finally started to get going. I mean, he he was... He's been inconsistent this year and he was, you know, top five, talked about as a top five quarterback in the country sort of stuff. Brees Hall's a fantastic running back. Uh, I, I just, I don't quite get it. It's just not happening for them this year. Yeah, no, and you're right. Brock Purdy is probably one of the players whose draft stock's taken the biggest hit this year at that quarterback position. We we talk, you know, we know the big three in Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Trey Lance out at uh, North Dakota State. But then it was, well, who's going to be the next one up? Who is it there? Say Zach Wilson. Well, but like Zach Wilson is a guy that we weren't talking about who's now elevated himself into that conversation. Kyle Trask was one that maybe he could be the four, has certainly solidified himself and and maybe is looking in that top three. Mac Jones is up there. Brock Purdy was one who was in that whose arrow is facing down like squarely so (laughs) he he would really hope to turn it around. I mean yes he was kind of up and down in this one but three, three picks is not what you want to be putting out there. Uh, Iowa State have got to be happy though. Five and one in conference, still looking good for the Big Twelve Championship yeah, game. Just, so. It just feels like they're gonna, they've got losses coming though. I haven't had a look at their schedule moving forward, uh, but I just it just feels to me like there's losses coming. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, moving on, we've got three games. The aforementioned Kansas Jayhawks played Oklahoma and got absolutely crushed, sixty-two to nine. Texas got over West Virginia. In Austin, seventeen to thirteen, in a low-scoring one, uh, and TCU crushed Texas Tech thirty-four to eighteen. Anything on those three games? Well, I'm disappointed I didn't get my cover in the Oklahoma Kansas game. I, I think I set the line at sixty points, so I was kind of not far off it there. But that, what a yeah mismatch that one was. And I think the Texas West Virginia one deserves a bit of time. In the fact that Texas is still kind of competing in the Big 12, they had a big game last week, obviously going into overtime. They'd be thrilled not to take this one to overtime. I mean... That's th- rare for them. Well, it is. Two games in a row without going to overtime? Or? No. No, no, the week before Zero they did. I, well, <laughs> I think that they saw the shortened season and thought, well, how can we make this up? I know, we'll just play extra quarters at the end of games and, and that'll do it for us, which is Good. cool. But no, I mean... Weird, weird defensive slugfest. Like, again... Yeah, I mean, Jarrett Dogg is still threw over 300 yards, yards as, as we said he would. Uh, but they just couldn't put the ball in the end zone. They couldn't get themselves in scoring position. They had a few issues closing. 
and uh, just not a scoreline I predicted. I, I would have thought that if, if you told me leading into the game, if you held, if Texas scored 17, that West Virginia were going to win. Uh, so yeah. Texas are good for one of these every year, though, where they just get this mongrelly low-scoring contest, and you're like, oh, I don't know where this comes from. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. It's a bit of an odd one. I think Bjorn Robinson... Um, the running back at Texas had a big day there and, and was probably yeah, the difference in the end. Yards. He did, on, and, and had a couple of catches that really uh, split it open too. Okay, well, uh, nothing too exciting in the Big 12 this week. Just kind of steady as she goes. That's unheard of almost this <laughs> season for the Big 12, so a nice change. All right, let's get into the SEC. And let's start... Oh, sorry, not the SEC, the ACC. Let's get into the big game. This was Clemson and Notre Dame. But still the Irish can knock him off on this snap. Rushing three, dropping eight. Uyunglele steps up, loads and throws. It's caught, it's pitched backwards, up in the air. It's on the ground, still in Clemson's hands. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Now, if you didn't just have your ears blown off, you just heard the last call of the game on 4th and 24. Uyunglele uh, threw a kind of a ball not far from the sticks, actually. It was probably only three or four yards short. And then Amari Rogers, I believe, made the catch, knew he was going to be short as tacklers were rallying. And he they, they tried to go crazy with the laterals, but it didn't work. Then the Irish fans stormed the field and... Notre Dame get away with a 47-40 to 40 victory in double OT. I don't really know where to start on this one. I guess I'll take us back in time. If we head back into the fourth quarter, Travis Etienne scores a touchdown that puts the Tigers ahead. Ian Drive then... Ian Book. Ian Book then gets two drives to score the, the tying touchdown. Uh, the first attempt had some tense moments. There were some refereeing decisions that kind of people got up in arms about, but no score there. Then Clemson really mismanaged their final drive, punted the ball away, uh, and Ian Book then takes them the length of the field in a minute and a half, finished with a touchdown pass to Emory Jones. That then takes it to OT. Both teams score in OT. Then back-to-back sacks for Uyunglele. Uh, and then a breakup causing that fourth down attempt that we heard. Now, the storylines here are varied and vast, but there's a few that I could touch on and feel free to jump on any of these. But Uyunglele didn't miss a beat, really. had a really good game statistically. He looks fantastic. And when Trevor Lawrence jets off to the NFL, it's not like they're going to struggle moving forward. But he was really good. Travis Etienne getting completely shut down by the Notre Dame defense had no impact on the game whatsoever. The Clemson injuries would be point number three. They were struggling particularly on defense up front in that linebacker core, both before the game with Oskowski, who didn't play, um, or you know, a, a couple of their interior defensive linemen came out of the game as well. Clemson's lack of a pass rush and Notre Dame's domination along the offensive line was impressive. Uh, Notre Dame shooting themselves in the foot with fumbles and drop catches that probably could have put the game out of reach in the first half. And then the amount of reviews, and this is coming back to my earlier point around referees, there was way too many of those that slowed the game, ground it to an absolute halt in overtime, which probably took the momentum away from Clemson. They, they power to, uh, receives a first play in overtime and takes it to the house. 
but he gets called just short. Then it gets reviewed and confirmed that it was a touchdown. And then they go back and re-review it. And then he's short. And then they score. And then it just, the whole thing was a mess. Um, so that was a bit disappointing. But there's probably six or seven points there. What is there any of those that jump out to you, Will? You have just thrown a lot on the table there, my friend. I have, I have. So you and, go with what you want. Yeah, okay. So for me, I'd, I'd like to start at the Travis Etienne and the, uh, how well mm. Notre Dame were able to contain him. So he had the 18 carries on the day for a, a total of 28 yards. And this is a guy who is one of the top running backs in the nation, probably odds on to be the first running back drafted at this stage. He's super productive, running the ball, a true dual threat uh, catching as well. So he did have the eight catches for 57 yards, but that's a fairly tame outing for him from what he has been putting up. Like he he went for over 100 receiving and rushing the week before. So Notre Dame's ability to work to that game plan, yes, uh, DJ Uyunglele really got away and, and looked good, but... They'd be happy with that, knowing that it wasn't kind of like you inject Trevor Lawrence into this and it's a different game and and Clemson win comfortably because those numbers are are elite. Like that you're not getting much improvement out of there. Clemson need their improvement to come from the run game if this is another matchup that we're going to see in the ACC championship. And it's another matchup. (laughs) And and Notre Dame can have confidence that they can they can certainly take that away from them and and make it a tough one and and then on their own right Kyron Williams looked really good again like he's he's looked really good all year but I was super impressed with him uh as like a, a pro type back that is, is is a bit smaller he is small he's undersized he, he's smaller but he's running between the tackles uh he's he and he works hard to get those three yards after contact like he's mm. getting hit in tackles and it's all about that push after there it's it's not kind of smaller scat backy stuff he, he's earning those yards and he looked good so he went for 140 and, and scored three times on the day super impressive and the other one that you mentioned ian book's last drive that that one where he put up the score with something like 30 seconds to go to tie it up was the moment that Notre Dame really needed. Like we, we really talked about this Notre Dame team not being able to get it done in big moments. That was as big a moment as we're going to see in the ACC this season until we get to postseason play. And he stood up to it and delivered. So that was massive. There were some big plays all day from both sides. Like it, it, it delivered on what you would expect from a t- two yeah. top five teams. And, and as often that, that stuff doesn't happen. You know, we saw the Alabama Georgia game. Alabama just kind of beat him out the house. This this could have been in that same bucket, but it certainly wasn't. Notre Dame came up to play, took it right to him, and then in the end, were able to get it done. So full credit to them. Momentum swings left and right. Uh, it was it was a great game, great game. It was. I and I do want to come back to Notre Dame's offensive line. I thought they were fantastic. You do not see offensive lines bullying Clemson front sevens very often. We say front sevens, that's not exactly what they are anymore. But, um, you know, that the first two levels of the defense, you just don't see it. And they completely manhandled and controlled Clemson, particularly when they needed to. At the end of the game there and in overtime, they just lent on that defensive line and, and serious, got serious movement off the ball. And that's hard to overcome. They started to win in the trenches. And the same thing happened on the defensive side as well because ETN couldn't get the ball moving forwards by any means. Now, they were triggering really hard. They were bringing that safety down hard on anything that resembled a run play. 
Uh, they were just triggering, particularly into the middle of the field and not allowing Etienne any space uh, in those A and B gaps, which was, which was really, really impressive. Um, the only thing that gives me pause, I was impressed with Ian Book as well. I thought that they've got them making, but the stars aligned here for Notre Dame. Like you literally had the best quarterback in college football out. You were playing at home. You had all these other injuries and stuff around the defense as well. Like everything happened for you to beat this team. And they did to their credit because we've seen a lot of teams that can't do that. But you're now going to get Clemson in the ACC championship game with revenge on their mind at a neutral site and hopefully at full strength. Good luck to you because you're not winning the same way again, I guess. I'm not saying they can't win again, but you're not winning the same way. If you just try and roll that recipe out there again, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, but I also would argue full strength because I don't think we're going to see that for any team from here on out. So there's a bit to be worked out there, but there's certainly chinks to this Clemson team that, it, it might not be that lock that we thought it was, that they were going to be you know, one of the top two teams, top three teams in the country. That there's certainly an avenue there for others to take it, take it right to them and uh, get a shot at the Natty this year. All right, let's move on to... We'll head back to Saturday or Friday night in America and Miami and NC State. Third down and seven. De'Eric King has Harley. Who keeps his feet? Harley is off, and Harley scores! Big play theater continues to Friday night. And sure does. De'Eric King has his best game as a Miami Hurricane, possibly one of their best for his career. He goes over 500 all-purpose yards. That play there, he hooks up with Mike Harley to put the Canes ahead for good with four minutes to go. Uh, he just finds a way to win. Off, uh, NC State called a good game. Offensively, I thought the Canes' defense was really, really bad. They're undisciplined. They're not particularly sound. And defensive backs, particularly in the secondary, safeties uh, getting caught with receivers crossing their face a lot. Um, l- lack of acknowledgement and uh, time put into the tight ends. Uh, linebackers not filling gaps. DB's not getting their heads around when ball's in flight. Play calling was pretty average. While they did allow only 100 yards and 10 points in the second half on defense, the adjustments are there and they always occur at halftime. And I would argue that Manny Diaz is one of the better defensive coordinators in terms of adjustments, but it takes to halftime until he can actually get in there and sift through it and organize. I don't get why that can't happen on the sideline. Losses are coming for this Miami Hurricanes team and Virginia Tech next week might be one of those. Ah, this is a Virginia Tech that just lost to a, a group of five ranked team. team, just a ranked team, a group of five teams. So a ranked team. <laughs> I wouldn't worry too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick of this negativity towards Miami. You're winning, dude. This is the time know, that you need to be up and riding that wave I of know. optimism. And it was, well, it was an, it was an entertaining way to win, I suppose. Like this, in the past, like this is coming off a bye week of which we saw again Miami's own four. Uh, we see a situation on playing on a different time at, in a night game. Like we lose this game so many times in the past kind of 10 years. So it was refreshing to see a win. It was entertaining offensively. It was really, really good. Uh, but you just feel with the talent on defense, I, I, I don't get 
what's happening there because we continually make backup quarterbacks look like the second coming of Brett Favre. Like, I just don't understand it. Yeah, well, um, I was rooting for the Hurricanes hard in this one because you didn't let me bet against them and then that would have really pissed me off if <laughs> NC State. So I was I was kind of really happy to see them get home in this one. And De- Derek King was the difference. He, he put this team on his back, as you mentioned, over 500 all-purpose yards, had five touchdowns through the air. He, he was he balled out. He took mm-hmm. this game by the scruff of the neck and thought, nah, fuck it, I ain't losing. So credit to him and and he can take this team like that, that that's the kind of the big difference yeah. that you might have from previous years where the team's full of studs but your quarterback position's always been lacking if you've got a baller there which you have you are going to be able to do some pretty cool stuff and i, I think miami is still a shot they'll, they'll move into the top 10 in the rankings this week now i suspect and uh, like it's keep having fun with it yeah, I will. I mean, we're not making the ACC championship game now. I think Clemson's got some room to move uh, in terms of... Like, they'd have to drop another one. Notre Dame would have to lose two probably as well. Like, it's just... it's not. I don't, know how, the, so I don't know how the countbacks work there. Yeah, I mean, there's a strange system this year as well. It's like they've had a look at tiebreakers and stuff in the ACC and it's, it's a computer program, which scares the crap out of me. But it's not based on ranking. Um, it's based on you know kind of all the obscure metrics and stuff they'll use Uh, but that's not really a concern I mean you can only win what you win and and it it has been enjoying so far what's the chance Derek King comes back for another season because this year doesn't count towards anyone's eligibility he's not going to the NFL as a quarterback I don't think I mean maybe he is but he's undersized he's small does he have a place at the next level yeah, look, I wouldn't have thought, but you, you, he stacks up to Kyler Murray from a stature standpoint. Yeah. Like, there's the same sort of maneuverability there. He's not going to be winning the Heisman this year, but he's going to be in the conversation. Uh, and this is a guy who's kind of done it for a number of years at the college level as well. So he does have a decent amount of tape up there for his play type I, I think he can certainly translate into the nfl whether he turns out to be a starter at the nfl level maybe not but is he someone that can kind of sit in a system like what baltimore have he'd running need, he'd need to be the right system yeah absolutely and, and you'd need it catered for him like you've seen for lamar jackson it, it, but then they've got robert griffin behind him they've got trace mcsorley is he someone that can go there and be an upgrade over them or it's a copycat league we're going to see other teams trying to achieve what they've been able to do there whilst they're having that success so i think now's the time if ever for him to make that kind of switch and they're, they're going to be open to it yeah, I mean, I'd kind of like it if he came back. Anyway, Virginia Tech, 35, go down to Liberty, 38. Uh, the play in this one has to be the kick to win the game. I'm going to talk about it later in my rewind, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But Alex Barber hits a 51-yarder after a timeout by Fuente, the Virginia Tech head man. And Liberty gets a probably program-defining, program-best victory I would say, against the Virginia Tech Hokies. Yeah, I mean, I think Alex Barber, the kicker there, was at one point committed to Virginia Tech too. So that's the that's the ultimate little, you know, <laughs> stab there. But this is a massive victory for Liberty. They, they This program is only new to the FBS level uh, and for them to step up and continue this undefeated season with a victory over an ACC te- another ACC team. They've now beaten Syracuse and Virginia Tech. They've 
would probably rank somewhere in the middle of the ACC if we if we were to stack them in there at the moment. Yeah, middle of the Big Twelve. Uh, uh, look, they're not on the hot seat here. They're not the ones <laughs> losing to these group of five teams. But I mean, Hugh Freeze has done an amazing job there, and I don't see him sticking around. There will be some big programs calling again. He obviously had success at his time at uh, Mississippi. And yes, there was scandal, but... Illegal <laughs> success, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I think that there's certainly going to be another opportunity for him to make his mark somewhere. As, as long as you're winning games, that speaks for a lot and it covers up a lot as well. Yeah. It's like saying Wolf of Wall Street had success on Wall Street. It's like, well, yeah, he did. Quaaludes. Anyway... <laughs> North Carolina destroyed Duke 56-24, 42 first-half points for the Tar Heels. They put on a clinic there. Boston College squeaked by Syracuse 16-13. Your boys get home, though. And FSU score 14 points in the first quarter, then only manage three more the rest of the way as they get absolutely fisted by a pit 41-17. Florida State still can't get it going at all here. I thought they may have turned a corner, but absolutely not. Anything on those three particular contests? Like it was nice to see North Carolina actually rock up for a game for once. I think their Achilles heel this year has been falling behind early and then having yeah. to try and catch up. In this, uh, is it a rivalry match? Surely it would be against Duke. I mean, they, Definitely. They, call, they call it a rivalry match. I don't know how seriously it's taken. Yeah, yeah. well, on the basketball court it certainly is, and yeah, I guess sure. that translates a little bit here, but... North Carolina came out fired up uh, and Javonte Williams continues to be one of the best backs in the nation. I think he scored the most touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Flat track bully. Well, you know, beat, what, beat what's in front of you. I like <laughs> yeah. it. A bit of yeah. Sachin Tendulkar about him. Don't leave the subcontinent and just make <laughs> fucking runs. So, brilliant. Yeah. All right, let's head to the SEC uh, and we'll jump in with the biggest contest there as number five took on number eight. Now they come with some pressure, but the ball goes to the end zone. Touchdown, Trevon Grimes. Goodness. Tyson Campbell was there, but the throw was perfect. The grab maybe even better. Yeah, Trevon Grimes, former, I say he's going to, former South Florida native, effectively ended the game by putting the Gators up 38-21 just before halftime, which is a ridiculous scoreline. It ended up finishing 44 to the Gators, and Georgia only could muster 28 points. So they effectively get blasted. Georgia appeared to be trying to piece together an offense in the lead-up to the game and during it as well few injuries and then they obviously had that issue at the quarterback position Kyle Trask throws four touchdowns while Stetson Bennett and uh, Dwan Mathis struggled to get anything going for Georgia but the story in this one might be Florida's defense they held Georgia to 277 yards two of 13 on third down and created three turnovers I don't think this version of Georgia is very good but is Florida good enough to make the playoff I think they're good enough to make the playoff, absolutely. This this Florida team, their weakness has been that defense. I think whilst Kyle Trask is in the sort of form he's in at the moment, they, they can match up with anyone. The concern is that defensive side. And for them to have a solid outing in this one, I mean, they let Zamir White take the first play from scrimmage to the house. 
So giving up a 75-yard run on the first one kind of puts you behind. And then to, what did you say? It was only 200-odd yards. 277, so 200 for the rest of the way. Exactly right. Every play since then is a, a really impressive effort. So I think this Florida Gators team is legit. Uh, they've obviously had some serious COVID issues over the last few weeks, and that was my main reason for concern heading into this one but they've managed that well come out the other side of it you kind of asked the question in the lead up into this game how many points do do Florida need to score to be able to win this and I said they need to get over was it 28 or 30 and they did that they did that in the first half Uh, and then then they kind of coasted so you were spot on in your call on this one for me the big takeaway was just how well Kyle Trask played like the, the passes that he made yes the receivers were making good catches but these were not breakdowns on Georgia's side. Like this was well defense. This is a good defensive unit. He was just dropping dimes and they were scheming stuff up. He was putting it exactly where it needs to be. It was kind of like almost Joe Burrow like. Like that was what I was thinking when I was watching it. Just the sorts of body movements he was making to buy himself time and then putting it in a position where only his skill players could make a real run at it was what we were seeing. So he was really, really impressive. And this Florida team looked like they're now going to be battling for the SEC championship. I don't think they kind of stack up all that well against Alabama. Not many do. But uh, they're certainly going to be in the conversation uh, as long as you're playing around in those sorts of games. Well, there's a bit of a shake-up potentially here as well in that top four and in that in that playoff uh, with Clemson dropping one. I mean, not that it necessarily moves them out of the four, but Clemson will move into and, and absolutely should move into the top four as a result. Florida. Uh, and, and then Florida will have to move up as well. Like, I don't know where kind of all these teams come out in the wash. Like, are you dropping Ohio State after some of these losses? Because Notre Dame have to jump up and florida have to jump up as well so anyway we will push on we'll see where the ap poll ranks them on wednesday arkansas scored 24 points in the third quarter you don't need any more than that why why bother scoring in one two or quarter number four as well (laughs) when tennessee only put up 13 points so they win that one 24 to 13 if you couldn't do the maths there this tennessee offense is struggling which you mentioned earlier mississippi state beat vandy like, you didn't put money on that. But if Vandy didn't turn the ball over so much, they'd probably win this one. They actually outgained them comfortably. Mississippi State had minus 22 rushing yards. Gross. Uh, <laughs> gee, I feel like Vandy let that one get away as well. Yeah, they absolutely did. That's really disappointing. I mean, the only bright side of it is that I didn't take it on the punt. And if they had have got up and they did, then I would have been a little bit bitter about that. But I am still sad to see the doors go down. Tennessee, though, 13 points in the first half, and then that's it for the game to get done Mm -hmm. by this Arkansas team. Like a a much improved Arkansas team. Both you and I thought the Hogs were going to win this one. But after the start that Tennessee had, they would have been thinking that they could get something going they did not they'd be really disappointed here's a question for you who's in more trouble michigan or tennessee uh as a program as a program tennessee only because the competition that they face in the sec and the fact that they are in the sec west uh creates issues that you don't see michigan michigan is still going to recruit really really well they're still the big blue blood there tennessee are hanging on at the moment for dear life and 
you know, Jeremy Pruitt is struggling to put things together. Butch Jones had a really average finish to his tenure there as well. And, and Tennessee have been irrelevant now for a considerable amount of time. Michigan possibly have as well, but they're just more institutionalized, I feel, at this point than what Tennessee is. So, you know, Tennessee have got so many to overcome in, in terms of quality, whereas Michigan don't have that. They're always, you know, going to be competitive just by default. Okay. Um, so I would say Tennessee in them. Texas A&M flexed their muscle over South Carolina, 48-3. to A&M starting to look pretty good, but they need some results to go their way, and they probably need to win out as well, and hopefully Alabama loses somewhere. In the Big Ten, Indiana have beaten both Penn State and now Michigan in the same season. I don't know that the last time that happened, but it was the first win over Michigan since 1987, um, the year we were born. That's unbelievable. Um, but they win this one 38-21. Michael Penix was outstanding. Stevie Scott was useful on the ground. The Hoosiers' offense just kept the Michigan defense completely off balance. A lot of hard counts because Michigan got caught offsides five times in the first half which is unbelievable. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to talk a lot about Michigan and there's so much focus on their poor defensive showing and is the DC, you know, going to get torched over the week, uh, over this, over, over the week and are they going to move on from him? Um, the fact that they've now lost back-to-back games, Michigan State, now Indiana, Jim Harbour on the hot seat. But Indiana is 3-0. and and they should be really, really stoked with that. They actually, whilst they didn't dominate the Penn State game, they controlled this game. They won this game. It wasn't that they were handed turnovers and field position and all that sort of stuff. So well done, Indiana. Well done, Michael Penix. They couldn't keep him quiet. And they're the biggest threat to Ohio State at this point. I wouldn't be rolling Northwestern out. Uh, and if Wisconsin ever get... to score more than 21 points in every game they play. That's good. If Wisconsin are ever allowed to play a game too, they're also <laughs> someone that's kind of floating around there. But no, credit to Indiana. You're spot on in this one. That The Penn State one, maybe they stole. This one, they fully deserved. Like, they were really good. They torched Michigan through the air. Your boy, Michael Penix, you were on him early. I'll, I'll give you mm. credit for that. You said he was going to be a good one. And he seems... He's, getting better with each week that he plays at the moment. So whilst he didn't get anything going on the ground, it was obviously a deliberate ploy to just let's light it up. 50 uh, attempts through the air, completed at a relative clip, uh, was able to really just make the Michigan defensive backs just look pretty bad in this one. And, And they'd be super disappointed with that because you know that they're getting highly recruited guys like this is athletic bunch that are coming in there um to do that work so indiana couple of picks uh they move forward in the big 10 and who knows where where they could take it in the top 10 now i don't think that enough teams fell so clemson obviously will only drop to five at worst i would say to two they'll drop to two yeah, well, who knows? I mean, it's a tough one there because Notre Dame beat them, so they kind of have to go above them now. Yeah, but you're yeah. not sliding Notre Dame above Alabama or Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, and then do you go three? Four? Yeah, I don't know. We're, we're speculating about that stuff there. So I just can't see anyone falling back and dropping out. Uh, Georgia perhaps might, uh, but that only gives them room to move up one. Maybe they hop over the top of someone else with another ranked matchup. But... I don't know. They're kind of in that Miami territory, right? Yeah. Gross. 
<laughs> All right, Minnesota crush Illinois 41 to 14. Maryland beat up Penn State 35 to 19. I often think Penn State are super overrated, like yearly. I've never been big on them. Uh, I thought this year they actually might be okay. I'm not a big Sean Clifford believer, but I thought their stable of running backs was going to be good. Their defense should be sound. But apparently they suck. Turnovers killed them again, and Tungavailoa might actually be good. He had three touchdowns today and looked really, really comfortable. Yeah, no, you're spot on. I think that Penn State call is a great one because it's one that you always think, oh, Penn State aren't that great, and then they finish a year with 10 wins, like every fucking year, and you're like, how how did that happen? I didn't actually think they were that good, and maybe it's because they play in Death Valley or Happy Valley, should I say. Um and they get 100,000 fans there and it's atmosphere and that's kind of helping them out, cover some of these deficiencies that they, they seem to carry. But this year, they are not looking good. And for Maryland to come into town and just give them a bit of a smackdown here, which is what it was. I mean, they scored 12 in the last to get a bit of respectability back, but they they were kind of laughed out of their own house. Um, they would be looking pretty hard at themselves at the moment and trying to figure out what, what where to from here. Yes or no, does James Franklin survive the season? He does, yes, absolutely. He's built up a fair bit of equity there. Okay, Iowa murder Michigan State. I did not pick this one. 49-7. to seven. Not that I thought Iowa couldn't beat Michigan State. I just didn't think Iowa could score 49 points. I no, did I, not I didn't think Iowa were going to be very good this year at all. I didn't think Michigan State were. Well, I was kind not. of... Neither so, of these <laughs> teams are particularly good, but you never know what's going to happen. Rocky Lombardi threw three picks, and I was like, nah... I remember this old chestnut. This is more the Rocky Lombardi in Michigan State we know. You can't put up points. And when you look like you might, you just throw it to the other team. Um, but a pretty boring game, really. Like It's not like Iowa had any kind of offensive explosion either. They had over 200 yards on the ground, and that's how they got the victory in this one. Yeah, typical Iowa sort of fashion. Northwestern beat Nebraska 21-13, to moved to 3-0 and for the first time since 2000. Here's, here's your spotlight, Will. You've got 30 seconds. Go. Yeah, look, these Wildcats, I keep saying they are a dangerous team in the Big Ten. I like the way that they're going about it. They are better than most other teams in the Big Ten. They're going to be dangerous. They're going to be competing. Yes, there are certainly concerns at their ability to score more than 21 points, but they have a very sound defense. They know what they're about. <laughs> and that that's going to take them far this year, I, I think. So they'll keep going. Uh, a few concerns with Peyton Ramsey at the quarterback position. Um, he needs to, if, if they're going to be playing this brand of football, we need to take control of it. You certainly can't be turning the ball over. I, uh, multiple picks on the day. He did fumble that they uh, managed to recover, but you've got to be careful playing that game. I think on the flip side, though, it's worth taking a look at this Nebraska team. I mean, they've dropped two now. Uh, there would be some serious alarm bells going off there. They were one of the teams that was really keen to get this thing going and get into the year, and they love mm. football. This is a very proud football program. They are not expected to be at week 10 of a football season and have no wins on the board. <laughs> I mean, that might be a bit harsh, but I don't <laughs> well, think there are a whole bunch of rational-type thinkers out there, and, and that's going to be kind of bouncing around. It's November, and we don't have a win yet. Exactly. Um, all right, now, there's a couple of games for these two. So if we have a look at Northwestern and Nebraska, next week, Nebraska hosts Penn State. Oof. 
I don't know. <laughs> like that could. I'm be taking gross. the points. Whoever's getting them, I'm taking <laughs> yeah. them. Um, the other game that Northwestern are involved in is the Kemp Murden Bowl as Northwestern take on Purdue. <laughs> so, plenty to be excited about for these two teams heading into next week. Yeah, fuck yeah. We might have to sponsor that one. See, yeah, if, we can, see if we can get a trophy a made up party. and send it over. <laughs> um, Ohio State beat Rutgers 49-27 in a game that we thought would happen. I actually... Rutgers scoring 27 points is actually somewhat impressive. I don't know the... I didn't watch any of this game, so I don't know how they got those points. That could have all come late, but 27 points is still 27 points. Yeah, 18 in the last against the Ohio State walk-ons, so yeah, good for them. Okay, ouch. <laughs> ouch. <laughs> all right, in the American, SMU win, Cincy win, Memphis win in a shootout to uh, USF. Marshall Cruz again. They're making me money in that championship draft. BYU smash a hapless Boise State without Hank Barkmeyer, 51-17. to 17. Uh, They've pretty much done everything they can do at this point. They're doing everything in their control. And if they don't make it, they don't make it. But they're giving it a red-hot crack. San Jose State moved to 3-0 in the Mountain West as well. Surely, surely at some point here we can get a COVID replacement game sort of thing going where one team can't fit up somewhere in the nation and the other team's like, well, we're still good for it. And BYU's like, hey, we got you. Play us anywhere, anytime. Like, like, fucking no. Yeah, well, (laughs) obviously, (laughs) obviously not. But I mean, can we make this happen? Yes, no, 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 no. Not interested, yeah. Not interested. And well, the Big Ten won't allow it, so we know that. All right, that takes us through all the games. Have I missed any? No doubt I have, um, but that should have covered most in the group of five and the uh, power five as well, I think. Lots of action, lots of action. The chance one as well. I can't remember. I really can't remember. They did. If I've got them on. Um, All right, let's get to our game rewind for those moments that you definitely need to go back and have a look at. I am taking the Virginia Tech Liberty game. Go and watch that sequence of two plays to finish the match. So Liberty kicker, who we've already mentioned, uh, lines up to hit a 51-yarder. And as coaches will do, ice the kicker, and they leave it as late as possible. In doing that, the play often goes ahead because the time from calling timeout, the whistle, the play happens. When that play happened, Virginia Tech blocked the field goal and returned the blocked field goal for a touchdown, thinking that they've won the game. Unfortunately, that iced the kicker, called a timeout. Liberty get another crack at it, and they hit the 51-yarder, and Virginia Tech lose. So an unbelievable finish. To well, that. they actually ran a play between that too. So they went for it. It got blocked, and then they were like, mm, fuck that. No, let's run another play. Let's get closer. <laughs> and they did. Like They played real off coverage, let them get a, an eight-yard out. It was on fourth down, so they allowed them to do that, which was not great in the end because it has ultimately cost them but hey liberty kicker banging it from 51 yards to win not bad walking it off uh my rewind this week was javonta williams his four first half touchdowns go back check those highlights out like he's he's a player but the last one in particular i really like it's one of those ones where three dudes come to tackle the one bloke like in at the same time and they all just kind of bounce off of him and he just kind of 
and stays up somehow and gets through the end zone. Like it's just ultimate power from a, a short little unit there. So check those ones out. He was uh, massive today. The other one, uh, Georgia safety, just knocking himself out. That was scary. Florida. Did you see that? One? Yeah, I did. I did not like that. Oh, and then the uh, who came over? Kyle Trask came over to like kind of help him because the dude was straight out of it for yeah. a sh- only a short period of time. He came good, but he was snoring on the field. <laughs> and then uh, Kyle Trask comes over to sort of like hold him, and one of the Georgia dudes comes over and like pushes him out the way. And then there's like a bit of a push. And I'm just like, dude. He's just had his spine nearly broken. Like, he is sleeping right now. I think, you know, anyway. It was a scary one. Interesting one. The other one that's probably worth a look as well, and I'm mentioning a lot of stuff here, is the uh, NC State kicker. Just giving it the suck my dick after he hit a a field goal. I don't know if you saw that. No, I did not. I did not. Just gave it the big groin, double-handed groin shot. The old DX generation. <laughs> I just if a Miami kicker did that, he'd be fucking kicked out of the game for life. But anyway, uh okay, let's move on. Aussies in action and helmet stickers as well. Take us through it, Will. Wow, we have a lot of Aussies running around now that we've got everyone back in. So I've I've just kind of cherry picked the top efforts here, but there's still plenty of those. So starting with Rutgers kicker Adam a punter Adam Corsack, he had five punts at an average of forty-six Point six in their uh, loss to Iowa State. Obviously held his head high there. Uh, Texas A&M, Nick Constantinou. Constantinou? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, both yeah, of those were wrong. Uh, he only had a two kicks, but he averaged nearly 50 yards on both of them. So doing what he needs to do whilst their team does work. Uh, Indiana's Hayden Whitehead is leading that team from the front at the moment. Big reason as to why they are undefeated. Five punts at an average of 46.2. Getting it done. Ben Griffiths is back at USC. So he enters. Expecting big things from him this year. He was big leg at the Richmond Tigers previously. Uh, he came in and opened with three punts at an average of 46. Oscar Bradburn had a quiet day in their matchup with Liberty. Obviously not a punt, lot of punting happening there, but he couldn't do much more. A couple punts uh, averaging 51 yards. That's pretty solid. The rest of the team kind of need to give my man a bit of support there. Uh, Trent Schneider is back. I'm not sure if he was injured or why he's been out for a, a couple of weeks there, but he had five punts, an average of 45.4, so that's a really good outing for him. App State's Xavier Subotch had five at 44. Uh, Florida Atlantic's Matt Hable had five at 45, nearly 46 yards. Alex Mastromano had six at 45.8. Uh, Tyson Dyer had a really good one. He might still be punting now. That's how late that game was fucking going. But he had uh, four at nearly 46. And Iowa's uh, Tory Taylor. So he's a freshman stepping in this year. New bloke. I believe he's from Melbourne. Uh, had a busy day with seven punts there. I don't know how they've put up so many points and kicked so many times. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck's happening there? But seven punts uh, at nearly 46 yards. And this week's player of the week was uh, Pitts Kurt Christodoulou. He had five punts, averaging uh, 51 yards each journey. So that's a massive effort from him, and that'll kind of really skyrocket him up the uh, the rankings on the year too. Okay, cool. Wow, that is a lot of Aussies kicking around. And I know Pro Kick Australia actually got a mention in the Houston-Cincinnati game as well. 
Um, and they were kind of pumping up, if you don't have an Aussie punter, you need to get one. So the boys are making more and more noise on a weekly basis, which is fantastic. Helmet stickers, Will, what do you got? Let's do it. So i got some big names here, but they really stood up in big spots. So Zach Wilson needed to shine against Boise State, and he did. Is he, he a Heisman? Surely he's a Heisman. He's got to be. His, his numbers are up there with anyone else in the nation. Like, he matches on that level. It's just going to be that level of play. Same argument yeah. that you're going to get against the whole team. But he's just showing out. 21 of 27 for 360 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that's elite efficient. That's elite across the board. Yeah. So, massive for him. Uh, your boy, Derek King, as we mentioned, lit it up. Over 500 all-purpose yards. Five touchdowns. Did not turn the ball over. That's massive. And Kyle Trask... Uh, I, I was just blown away about how good he was. He did throw for 474 yards against the best defense in the country. Mm-hmm. That's that's nuts. So massive for him. Uh, Muhammad Ibrahim for Minnesota keeps just getting it done. 224 yards. Yes, 30 carries, but another four touchdowns. Like if there's college fantasy, which I'm assuming there is, he's going off. Like yeah, yeah. You, you're happy with him. Um, another big one was Jared Dokes at Cincinnati uh, in their win against Houston. Only the 16 carries. We went 184 yards with those bad boys, which is pretty impressive. And I mentioned earlier Javante Williams and his four touchdowns in the first half. Uh, He had three of them on the ground on only 12 carries and 150 yards. So that's uh, pretty dangerous, I would say, every time he's getting it. Uh, And then catching the balls... Real even numbers all over the shot we saw this week. Uh, you had Blake Prohl at East Carolina, who I don't think we've spoken about this year no, at he's all. A, like, he's an NFL like prototype kind of guy. He'll play at the next level. Yeah, 13 catches, 182 yards and two touchdowns. That's a massive day. Uh, and Mike Harley was the one catching the balls at Miami. So uh, he had eight catches and 153 yards and two touchdowns, which was really important for the Canes to get on top. It was. It was. All right, let's get on to bold predictions. I've finally got a sound bite for this, so you'll be happy with this, Will. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Yeah, like we're just it. throwing back. This is becoming very dodgeball-themed now. Um, so did we actually get any of these correct? I had an elaborate tale of beavers and ducks uh, but mine didn't come in. Jamar Jefferson did, in fact, outgain CJ Vidal, which is what I was hoping for. Oregon did rush the ball 40 times exactly, which is impressive, but not for 3.5 yards of tote. So I got that wrong. Oregon won. Oregon State lost. So I... Pepper needs new shorts. Oh. I lose. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. You're I up. Like Who it. was yours? Uh, I had the two top 10 undefeated group of five teams in Cincinnati and BYU both to go down because that's what happens this in a year like this. Pepper needs new shorts. Yes, indeed. Like not even close. And I think that's kind of the thing in a, in a normal year, they would lose this game, but this year is just so fucking crazy. Even when the craziness (laughs) is supposed to happen, it doesn't fucking happen. So not even close on either of those ones, which I'm happy. Like I'm glad to see both of those teams continue to win. All right, now we are going to go straight into on the punt as we run well short of time here. And I think we are looking at a win thanks to me. Surely. Yes, sir. We've done it again. Back-to-back collects. 
So <laughs> you are you are looking after me, and like hats off to you too. You've done a fucking fantastic job. So there were seven games that I'd kind of thrown out there. We ended up going on four of the three that you threw away. I was pretty dirty about some of them because I was keen to play them. Vanderbilt. Like, in the end, oh, yeah, you know, not a bad play because they were close. Close doesn't fucking pay the bills. So it was <laughs> exactly. it was a good good to pass on that one. I had NC State at home over Miami. Again, close, but you kind of mentioned it. You'll take them to cover, like you'll take the points, but they're, they're not going to win. And you were spot on there, so well done. And then I had South Carolina against A&M. Woof, woof. <laughs> so I'm glad you'd thrown that one away for me because yuck. Um, and then of the ones that we did take, we had Boise over BYU. That does not look good. Like, you know, inside, that's bad. Um, my, my bad there. I had Michigan State over Iowa. Oof. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a combined. We're not like, to a fly. Here, yeah, a hundred to ten. I think in like combined game scores of those two games. So ugh, not great. But then we had Liberty over Virginia Tech at four dollars eighty. So there's a nine nine 9.6 unit collect on that. You've that's, got to take the credit for that one because you were pushing hard for that. So that yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big bicky there. I had that as my chaos game and that got in, so I'm happy with that one. Uh, and then both of us were confident in Arkansas to get it done over Tennessee, in which they did with their one quarter of play. So that won us there. We did have the multi, but we lost that we lost units on. But all up, uh, positive three point six units on the week. So. We keep going at this rate, and I'm still not going to be positive, but. <laughs> Uh, I like it, mate. So, so what's what's our last two weeks? So three and change this week, and what did you get and, last and week? And three last week. So uh, how deep are we in here? We're, we're negative 14.4 on the year. We could... I mean, yeah, if we if we get bowl games just into it. Just jag and... a couple of others. Just jag a couple of others. All right, that brings us to the end of this Week 10 recap. An action pack... D- uh, week of college football uh, just quickly having a look at the schedule and I know we'll obviously go over this but there are some juicy juicy matchups I think for next week not in terms of um, big ranked heavy hitting matchups but things like uh, Florida hosting Arkansas could Arkansas get a little frisky there Wisconsin should play Michigan Michigan nothing to lose on, in this one uh, and then you know you've got a couple of teams coming in off buys as well so I think there could be some more friskiness. On top of that, a whole bunch of games on Saturday next weekend by the looks of things. A few yet to be determined in terms of times and kickoff times, but there are like 15 matches um, on Saturday. So I actually might spend Saturday watching. You can have Sunday and we'll uh, meet in the middle somewhere. Yeesh, yeah, I've got my brother's engagement party, which is fucking miles away too. So I'm I'm going to be hard up, hard pressed next weekend. But as we'll the do, great we'll Jeff best. Goldblum once said, college football finds a way. <laughs> Did he actually say that? I think he said life finds a way in Jurassic Park, but I've taken some okay. creative Plus license with that. Righto. I mean, because we do have lives, we do have jobs, we are but pawns in this greater picture of life anyway uh please make sure as always you do hit us up on the socials at cfb down under on twitter instagram and facebook as well uh make sure that you leave us a review join us by subscribing on your podcast capture slash player of choice none of those are actual real words of the queen's english uh and 
make sure you tell all your friends and family about us as well. So wrapping this extra long episode up on behalf of that guy over there, thank you for joining us. My name's Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time.